Yo, 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 we're back. I was in Puerto Rico, so I didn't have time to interview anybody. Check out the podcast. Mental health professional Dave Wiedis came out, talked about anxiety. Hope you enjoy it. Dave, thanks so much for your wisdom coming out, doing this completely for free. Helps us, helps the students, ministry. Done a lot. Um, helped a lot of people, including my wife with uh, mental health issues. Serving leaders, ministries. Yeah, serving yeah. leaders. Right. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Serving leaders? Yeah, how'd you get there, you know? Yeah. Um, I always had a heart for pastors. After I became a Christian, uh, in, in my teens, I w had a heart for pastors. And very early on in my Christian life, I saw the underbelly of ministry. I saw pastors fall. I saw some of the problems they had behind the scenes. And over the years, I developed a, a, just a passion to come alongside them. And so 12 years ago, we founded Serving Leaders Ministries, which is a ministry that comes alongside pastors and ministry leaders, anybody like yourself, you know, people in crew, young life, missionaries all over the, really over, all over the world. So we wanted to provide them a safe place where they could find the help they need. And we'd rather do uh, preventative work than do triage because triage is always more complicated, right? There's when a pastor falls or a missionary falls, there's always uh, a lot of damage that's caused. And so isn't it better to come alongside someone before they have an affair, before they have a breakdown, before their anxiety gets too strong, before the depression overtakes them. So that was the whole idea of serving leaders. Yeah, that's interesting because <clears throat> I think that there's a common misconception that ministers or pastors or missionaries, you know, one probably shouldn't be paid that much, right? The bare minimum. Yeah. You can get toothpaste and a, and a bed, twin. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then secondly, that, well, aren't they supposed to be the ones that right. are right. serving and pouring out? And there's, they're always put up on a pedestal. Like if you're a pastor, you're more spiritual, supposedly. You're, you're supposed to be more spiritual, more mature, emotional, more emotionally mature, right? You're the one who's helping everybody else. So that, that creates a couple of things. Number one, it creates really false expectations on the part of people because pastors and ministry leaders are people. They've got the same stuff that everybody else deals with, right? Yeah. Plus the added burden of ministry. But it also creates isolation for the ministry leader because then the ministry leader thinks, I can't really reveal what's really going on inside me. Yeah. How do, how, do I, how do I be real about this? So they end up hiding. And the more you hide, the more, you know, have you ever noticed that if you hide problems, they get worse? Yeah. Uh, I never had anybody come to me and say, you know, I'm so glad we waited to get marriage counseling because now after 10 years, it's so much better. No, it gets worse. So the whole problem is that ministry leaders really get isolated. So we've tried to really bust that myth, that you, the myth that you just expressed, yeah. and just help people say, look, we people in ministry are just people. And everybody's got the same issues. They deal with the same kind of problems. And so we try to take the shame out of it and also try to get them the help that they need uh, quickly. Yeah. <clears throat> so it, it's called Serving Leaders because you yeah. started off serving leaders in ministry. Right. But now you've expanded. <clears throat> is that right? That's or? right. That's okay. right. So because so many pastors would come to us and they liked what we did, they liked the services that we gave them, many of them would say, well, would you see so-and-so in, in our congregation? And they started to refer people. And so 
as long as we had enough capacity to to handle the needs that were coming yeah. from ministry leaders, we opened it up. Now, in the past month or so, we've just created what's called SL uh, counseling, and that is for what I say normal people. So people who are not necessarily in ministry. Yeah. And um, and so that's been a really uh, it, it's been an expansion of our services, and it's really much needed. I think I think good Christian counseling is really needed in our community, and that's what we offer. Yeah. You worked with an organization prior to this. Yes. And I know that you said uh, they announced it and said you had uh, Alliance Defending Freedom. Freedom. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, we had a conversation afterward. You said, uh, you know, I'm talking about anxiety. Yeah. They yeah. don't really need to know that, but... Well, nobody knows you know, in that context that yeah. when I was introduced. Nobody knows. Who, who knows what Alliance yeah. Defending Freedom is? It's right. a phenomenal organization, but in, in that context, yeah. Yeah. So you have... Uh, a background in law. Yeah. <clears throat> Villanova um, law degree. Yep. I went to practice for a while. I practiced for many years. My specialty really was radiation litigation, um, which meant I was defending nuclear power plants in lawsuits. Wow. And um, and so that was a specialty. I, I had worked in a large, large law firm in Philadelphia, Pepper Hamilton. Okay. And I was a litigator, which means you know, I did court courtroom trial work. And uh, so I did a lot of different things, medical malpractice and things like that. But then uh, a partner there and I went into business together and we specialized in radiation of all, of all things. Right. So yeah. it's a little niche, but it was really fascinating. And I actually still do some of the work uh, in that area. But the point is, um, I had a long career do doing legal work. Mm -hmm. I was asked to join Alliance Defending Freedom. Actually, I was doing development work for them. And as I was doing that, I worked for them for seven years. And then when I was doing that and I was traveling around the country, I got the idea, why don't, why don't you create a ministry that comes alongside ministry leaders and really befriends them, provides the help they need. And um, I don't know if you know this, but we also do a lot of ministry leader gatherings. So periodically we get together, we do teaching, we, get set, we do seminars, always on issues of the heart for pastors and ministry leaders. Yeah. And we also do a lot of international work as well. Yeah. So last week, you're giving a two. You gave a two-part talk. Last week was the first part on Wednesday night at Crew in Main Hall 168. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 7:45, free coffee. Anyway, um, free coffee. Yeah, free coffee. I always get some. Mm -hmm. Pizza is actually better. Okay. For the college students. Yeah. You talked about anxiety. Right. And <clears throat> I'm gonna try to. I actually, yeah, so a bit of what I remember, let's see if it's stuck, okay. was uh, often anxiety is when you have, you said, I walk into a room, everyone starts laughing. Mm -hmm. You get embarrassed, and then you think, oh, they're laughing at me. But you said the order there is actually wrong. Right. What happened was you felt embarrassed, not because uh, that was laughing, not because yeah, not laughing. because they were laughing, right? But because of a previous belief that you held. Well, let me let, let's try. I to, think let's let's tease that thought, out. A thought, and the thought was they're laughing at me, and then it caused right. you to be right. anxious. Yeah, was it? Did I get yeah, that? You, well, you get a little, it, bit, a little it, bit, a little bit, and you called that catastrophizing. No, 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 no. Okay. Yeah. So let's <laughs> let, let's that's let's, good because now we can clarify. Okay, let's clarify it a little bit. So my definition of anxiety typically is 
when we import our imagination of the future event into the present, and then our body responds as if it's happening now. Okay. Right? Because so that just as a sort of a, a baseline, right? Okay. And then I thought I, I, well, I was talking about the idea that anxiety is a disorder of our thoughts. So that if I walk into a room and people laugh and I feel embarrassed, typically the way people interpret that is, ah, um, what caused my, my embarrassment, right? Their laughter, right? Yeah. But it's really the, the belief that they're laughing at me. It's an okay. underlying belief. So the laughter didn't cause it. It's my belief that they laughed at me. Okay. Okay, so the whole point there is, can we go after and think about what am I thinking that's causing me to experience an emotion like anxiety? Yeah, okay. and you gave an incredible example with Moses, where yeah. you know the God of the universe is speaking to him and says, "Hey, go on and do this," and he's like, "He says, what if, what if they don't believe me?" Yeah. Right. So, so anxiety is often preceded by this idea in our in our head, which is, "What if?" Yeah. And then usually what we do is we think, what if? And the what if is if something goes terribly wrong. Mm -hmm. What if I'm driving and I get in a car accident? What if I ask somebody out and she says no? What if I get out of school and I don't get a job, right? Mm -hmm. So those are these these thoughts that, that occur to us. And the nature of anxiety is that it's negative. We don't go, what if we have this great dinner? What if I get a $2 million a year job? Yeah. That's not going to create anxiety. That causes excitement, right? Right. But the point is, it's the what ifs. And so the catastrophizing is, we often think of the worst case scenario. So what if I'm on a trip and I get a flat tire and I missed my plane and I've just blown $1,000 on a plane ticket and and on the way yeah. home, I'm, I'm, I get in an, an accident, right? Yeah. It's the catastrophizing is like, what's the worst example that could happen? Yeah. And so the point is, do should we need to pay attention. What am I thinking? What's underneath the fear or the anxiety or even the depression? Right? Yeah, it actually was really helpful. So I was in in a wedding. It was so the groom was. Um, well, yeah, he, the now husband of my friend, my wife's best friend. OK, she was the matron of honor. And I guess like by association, I was brought into the, the other side of the party. Right. And so we get to the bachelor party and I'm hanging out with these guys I've never met before. And I'm having a great time. You know, we're laughing, making jokes. They're right. all friends. I'm the new guy. Right. The next morning I woke up, I'm in a fog, I'm brushing my teeth and I think to myself, I, all of a sudden, I got embarrassed. I was like huh. going over the things uh -huh. that I, did I say anything that was offensive? Did, all uh -huh. these things, and then I, I thought, "Oh, they hate me. They don't like me at all," which wow. was so wow. not true. And yeah. I remember thinking about what you had said uh -huh. last week, right? And it helped me just okay. That's kind of ridiculous. I'm yeah. tired. There's yeah. a lot going on here. Let me just give yeah. it ten minutes yeah. and remember that. I'm making this all up. Yeah, Jesse, that... I, I literally felt it, too. I started well, feeling... Well, yeah, that's exactly... That's a great example there. And there, see, you have a narrative. You started, as you're brushing your teeth, you started to tell yourself a story. And and it was, what if? What if I said something stupid? What if they didn't like me? What if, right? But it was in the past. Yeah. But still, notice how you felt, right? Yeah. Where did you feel the anxiety? What did it feel like? Yeah, it was 
it was bit, here. Yeah. I started getting tight, and then I immediately uh-huh. wanted to start texting people saying I'm sorry <laughs> right. for something that right. didn't exist. Yeah, and 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 that's the key is it didn't exist. Now you could check it out. You could go to somebody at the party and say, "Did I say anything stupid? Yeah. Did I embarrass myself? Right? Yeah. Um, that would be one thing you could do, but to let it." Play out in your mind, mm-hmm. and and typically what we do is we t- we tell ourselves the worst case, like and we come up with these narratives or stories about what happened or what will happen. Yeah, perfect example. Yeah, there was it was really helpful, mm-hmm. and I was just thinking to myself, I'm so glad that you know I got I got to do that. It's I think mental health is something that isn't educated enough. Mm-hmm. Where people aren't educated enough about mental health, right? And even something like last week, and you're doing part two this week. Yeah. Even the smallest things can just help you in your everyday life. Really, it really does. It really does. Yeah. And and if you think about it, the smaller the small things do create anxiety. I was thinking about how sometimes when I'm driving to the gym, I get this image in my mind, like I look at the parking lot and I go, oh, there's going to be a lot of people there. Then the next image is. I'm gonna to have to be waiting to get onto the onto the gym, yeah. and uh, you know there's gonna be a line, and it's like where is that coming from? That never happened, and yeah. it, and and even if it did, so what, right? But the the way we think, even about the small things, can create anxiety or depression or or, or things like that. Yeah. So I wanted to get to some of the questions that we didn't get to answer last week. Yeah. If you don't know, and you're listening or watching this. We had a live question and answer, actually like question response, <laughs> better, but we're not going to be changing it to Q&A anytime soon. Anyway, um, we answered a couple of them. I'll probably go over a few of those. That's fine. And then um, answer some of the questions that we didn't get to. So the first question is, I become very irritable and rude when I am stressed out about an assignment deadline coming up. Hmm. A contributing factor is that I'm on a medication that has irri- ir- yeah. irritability as a side effect. Okay. Are there <clears> any <throat> tips on how to prevent stress from making me into a terrible jerk? Oh, yeah. I, I could probably give some tips. First of all, it sounds like you're really, to, the, to this person, I'd say, it sounds mm-hmm. like you're really hard on yourself, right? To call yourself a terrible jerk, right? Can, can you start to think about yourself as, I'm not a terrible jerk. I'm a person that's under a lot of stress. And when I become stress, stressed, right, I become hard to be around. Yeah. So the question becomes, now I would, for a couple of things. I would say, what is it that's causing you so much stress? Like, again, the image is, she, he or she is importing an image like, oh, how is this going to go? I'm not going to get it done or I'm not going to do well on it, right? Those are the what we call automatic thoughts, which I'll be talking about this Wednesday. Automatic thoughts are thoughts that pop into your head that just, boom, come. And we're not too conscious of them, but we are conscious of the feeling that follows the thought. So if I think, I'm not going to get it done. I don't have enough time. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Yeah. Right. Those kind of thoughts are going to precede the anxious feelings. And what, what he or she is saying is that when I get anxious, I become irritable. Mm-hmm. Now, that's pretty normal too. How do you how do you deal with that? Number one, be conscious of it. Like slow down and go, okay, I, I see my tendencies. I see I tend to get irritable. I take people's heads off when they do this, or you know, I'm not patient yeah. enough. 
So even just being mindful of that is, can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Second, prayer. Lord, can you please help me not to be so irritable? Can you help me even when I'm feeling irritable? Uh, can I differentiate from doing it? Do I need to actually act out in an irritable way? So again, it's sometimes you know, you've heard people say, take a couple of deep breaths. It's really, really helpful. Yeah. Right? And third, I mean, with the medication, uh, sometimes medications can really, you know, play havoc on you. And uh, I remember taking a medication that made me really nasty, mean and angry. Yeah. Um, and, and it was just really hard. I, you know, my wife said something to me, and I'm like, Rrr! and uh, <laughs> it's like, what is that? Um, so again, just being conscious of the fact that this is, this is how I can get. I want to I want to lighten up a little bit and go after those thoughts. And the way you go after the thoughts is, do I have evidence that I'm going to do really poorly? Do I have evidence that I won't get it done? No. Can I schedule it out in a way that makes sense? Yes. And slow down. And I'm going to be on Wednesday. I'm going to be teaching uh, sort of how to do that, how to slow it down, and how to really stay in the present rather than getting into the future. Yeah. Awesome. Second question. How to have the peace to share your feelings with close friends without thinking you're a burden or projecting sadness or negativity on them? How I think ha- is yeah, I, I think there was a typo there. Uh, maybe it's how how can you have peace? How can you have? I peace? think the idea is they want to share something yep. with their friends, yep, but they're worried that they're going to burden, burden them or right. project some sort of negativity. Okay. So I guess one of the questions is, what is it that you're trying to share with your friends, right? Suppose I'm feeling really depressed or down or anxious. Uh, it sounds like the, the question is, how do I share that without burdening them, right? And there, here's an underlying assumption. If I share, if I'm real with somebody, uh, it's going to burden them. Um, maybe not. You know, uh, when I'm with somebody, I'd rather them be able to just be honest with me I don't want them to pretend. So your honest sharing of, of feelings and what you're going through can really spawn closeness in a relationship. That's number one. And and number two is is um, you know you got to make a decision if you if you're going to share something that's heavy duty with someone, you got to pick a person who's able to handle that and listen, and is not going to either blow you off or judge you, right? Yeah. And so that's that's another aspect of that. Yeah, I've definitely felt that before where, um, yeah, I have a buddy who, it, it almost felt like the only way I could uh, get to hang out with him was when there's there was something that I really needed to talk to him about. Uh-huh. It was I was always getting blown off. And then, and then, so after a time, it felt like every single time I'm hanging out with him, right. it was always something really serious. Yeah. And I'm thinking in my head, it's probably making the issue worse. And that, yeah. So yeah. I, I yeah. kind of get where they're coming from. Yeah. There. You got to choose your fi- You got to choose your friends wisely. Yeah. When it comes to being honest. Yeah. But being honest is is really. I mean, that's what God calls us to do. Is we're not we're not supposed to bear false witness about yeah. ourselves, right? Yeah, and I think that there's also a. Um, you know, like you said, choose them wisely. I think we can lean towards just being vulnerable. You know, vulnerability is mm-hmm. a good thing, mm-hmm. but you got to know when. To right. You don't want to just always be right. 
sharing it and putting everything out on the table inappropriately. Inappropriately, right. you, you want to be you want to be appropriate, and you right. want it. You want it again. There are certain people who are good listeners. There are certain people who will not judge you. They love you, yeah, uh, unconditionally. So it's okay. And yeah. other people, you have to sort of be wise about. Yeah. Yeah. So the next question is. Does an unbeliever have hope in anxiety? Does an unbeliever have hope? Okay, so what, I, I guess I'd want to know what they mean by that. Do, does an unbeliever have hope to not have anxiety? Is that the question? Or are we talking about eternal kind of issues? Do, do, do you have any yeah, idea? Yeah, I, I think that they're saying, um, from what I, thinking about Wednesday night, Yeah you brought faith in and faith as one aspect right your relationship with god and having him help you in mm -hmm. anxious times mm -hmm. and even you know earlier yeah. you're saying pray prayer right so i think what they're asking is okay someone does not know god right do they have any hope to not be anxious uh yes and no okay if i was going to ask that answer that on a micro level certainly unbelievers mm -hmm. no can not be anxious and can all, can actually do the kinds of things I'm going to be talking about on Wednesday and have talked mm -hmm. about. You can pay attention to your thoughts. You can look, examine your underlying beliefs. You can stop importing the future into the present, right? Everybody can do that. It doesn't matter what religion you are. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you're belief, you have belief in God or not from that perspective, right? Yeah. We all are able to do some of that. Mm -hmm. I would say that for the unbeliever, I would say, you know, knowing God and knowing the person, the, the God who created us, who created us for intimate relationship with him, that's the most satisfying thing in the world. And it's the thing that can take away anxiety the best. Why? Because he created me to be known by him and to know him. And when I am connected with God through Christ, when I place my faith in God and he now I have, a, I have this relationship so it's like all of a sudden the creator of the universe lives inside me and is with me. And so I can trust him through my relationship with him. I can trust him that he is good and he's out for my good and he's all powerful. He's all sovereign. Sovereign means powerful yeah. and in control over all things. So as a, as a believer who knows, who, who believes, I, I know God, I know the God of the universe and God tells me certain things about him, self. He loves me. He's good. Things happen for a reason, even hard things. And, and, and though he doesn't promise things won't go wrong or that things won't be hard or bad or tragic even, he promises he will be with me in it, which is why I was using the passage of scripture that talks about Jesus in the back of the boat sleeping through the storm. Yeah. And, the, and the disciples are freaking out and they freaked out and they looked at him and they said, don't you care? That's what they're thinking in their mind. Yeah. Doesn't he care? We're going to die. Underlying belief. He's not good and he's not all powerful. And what did Jesus do? He rebukes the wind and the waves. They settle down and he demonstrates he is in control and he puts us through experiences for our good and he allows us things to happen for our good. So even the most, I would say, and, I, and this is hard to hear, I would say even the most tragic circumstances Scripture tells us that God will be with us in them and he can give us peace through them and he's got, he will make all things right. 
Maybe not right now. Yeah. But at, at a certain point. Yeah. <clears throat> For sure. The my um my mom passed away in December mm. and I was tasked with we did at the memorial uh, individual characteristics about that, your mom. She, that that uh, about God, but that she shared. So it was five uh, oh, nice. five characters of God that she yeah. sort of embodied or uh, exemplified, and the one that I picked was peace. Hmm. I really, I think the one that was the most for her was her kindness, but I went with peace because the reality is what I said was the reality of peace is inexorably tied to hope mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that and then what is this hope the hope being that you know I will be able to see my mom again right, right. but if everything about Jesus that I believe isn't true if there was no death you know payment for sin right and no resurrection right and there's no power over sin but then there's no power over death either that's right if that that's didn't right. happen sure and so i have no hope for the future and then where does that lead me to despair exactly which is the antithesis of hope that's right so yeah so I so think, I, th- I think what you're saying is having a relationship with god who loves us who knows us who created us for purpose and who offers eternal life right who offers forgiveness for the sins that we commit I mean, you talk about anxiety, you know, and sinfulness, right? We we have we are sinners, right? We do things mm-hmm. that are wrong. We violate God's commands. Uh, talk about anxiety provoking, right? If 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 I don't have a relationship with God and I don't have forgiveness of those sins, of course I'm going to walk around anxious, even about those things, yeah, right? and guilty about those things. So yeah. so the benefit of knowing Christ and having Him having taken on my sin. And his righteousness given to me, right? It's immeasurable. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. And hopeful. Yeah, absolutely. So we have three more questions. Okay. Do you have any favorite verses that would be comforting to a person experiencing anxiety? I, I think one of the favorite verses I do have is uh, is Romans where scripture says all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Uh, that's one of my favorite pictures. That's Romans eight twenty eight. Uh, yeah. Did I say picture? <laughs> one of my favorite scriptures. Um, well, I, it is it's a, yeah, it almost, it made sense to me because it was a picture of peace. And yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Um, the other thing that I, I have found great peace in is my, own weaknesses and I've always been like ashamed of weakness I've always been trying to cover up my weakness trying yeah. to compensate for all my weaknesses right and I've got a lot of weaknesses and flaws yeah uh, until I read the scriptures in second in, in Corinthians where Paul talks about Christ being strong despite our weaknesses even through our weaknesses so he says you know most gladly I I, I will boast in my weakness because the power of Christ will be will be in me, and and the power of Christ will be present through me, strong in me. When I'm weak, He's strong. So then I go, okay, so I'm so weak, 
And like, you, like when I speak, sometimes I feel so inadequate. When I do so many things, I feel inadequate. And I, whereas I used to get anxious about that, now I go, okay, God, I'm weak. I confess I'm weak. I don't have to cover it up. You be strong in my weakness. Yeah. And so there's the power of Christ that comes through in our weakness. So for me personally, uh, as someone who has struggled with anxiety, that again is, and performance, you know, that, that, that's the whole thing of you want to perform yeah. well. So for me to grasp onto my weakness and not have to cover it up and go, yeah, God, you know, you're right. You're right. So even if my wife says, you know, you're selfish, you're this, you're that. I'm like, you know what? I don't have to defend it. I'm like, you, you are, you're right. Yeah. I'm going to try to work on that. And I don't have to be anxious about my performance now because Christ is strong. And he moves even through our weakness. Yeah. Yeah, I found out in marriages after almost eight years now, instead of exerting so much en energy defending myself, yeah. just think about it. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, she's right. Right. I'm sorry, I did snap at you. Right. You know, rather than like, well, you did this. You did that. Like, yeah. Ah, either way, right. like I should be giving you grace. So, yeah, yeah. you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> just like, you know, what it nips that right in the butt, right? And just, yeah. Like, let's move on. Let's let's. I'll I'll try to move, work on that and improve, and we'll keep going. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, striking down a guy who admits, you know. Right. Uh, anyway, so how do you deal with your anxiety? for making a big life decision. Yeah. Um, well, number one, now, presently, I look back and I think, and I've made some big life decisions, right? I have, uh, yeah. I, I left practicing law to work for Alliance Defending Freedom. I left Defending Freedom to start a nonprofit organization, right? So I kept bumping down the corporate ladder. Yeah. Right, my, my salary, boom, 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 like that. Yeah. And, um, and I've done some risky things. Uh, my wife has done some risky things, right? So I look back and I say, God has taken care of me. God has been with me through all of these things. So that's number one. That's very helpful for me. Number two, I really try to pray and say, God, will you lead me? Will you direct me? Will you guide me? Like, I don't know if I should do this or that. And I've seen God actually just move very quickly to shut doors. Um, that were open, wide open. Um, so I, I depend on him. I also talk to my friends who I trust and I get wise counsel. Like I'm going to make a decision. I'm thinking about doing this. Can you talk to me? Can you see any of the issues that I've had? What are the problems? Right? So when I started serving leaders ministries, for example, I interviewed probably 75 to hundred pastors before I even started. And I went to them and I said, so what would you think about a ministry? that would come alongside and give counseling to pastors. Would you, what do you think about that? And I never got anybody saying, that's a stupid idea. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone's like, wow, that's brilliant. So I didn't do it once or twice or 10, 20. I did 75 to 100 different people to say, hey, wow. help me understand that. How many, what are the upside, downside? Yeah. So that's, that's what I do. And I really try, really try to take my own advice when I say, don't import my imagination of the future because I sus I have su I'm suspect of my imagination yeah I know I'm not going to be thinking oh it's going to be great by the way when you think it's going to be great all the time that's grandiosity yeah. and I don't suffer from that it's more the ang anxious thought like oh if I do that this is going to happen yeah so I try to really stay present in the presence mm -hmm. that's one thing present in the presence stay with God God you're here with me I'm not going to import that my imagination of the future I'm going to yeah. be 
thinking logically, rationally, and prayerfully about the decision that I'm making. Yeah, I think that often what I experience myself, see what happens with college students, is they there's this idea of, well, I don't have a peace about it. Yeah. But sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes you're not supposed to have a piece like, of Yeah, you're not supposed to. Right, right. But you're still being called to do that, you know? That's right. And I feel like it leads to a lot of people just sitting around. That's right. Because, That's right. I mean, yeah, the reality is sitting on the couch watching TV is a lot more peaceful than going to the Middle East to, right. you know? Right. Yeah, if, 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 you know, I've been to India twice. I've been to China. I've been to Haiti. I've been, uh, we're going to uh, Beirut, Lebanon next month. Um if I allowed my feelings to control, I'd never get, I'd never go 10 miles from my yeah. house. Um, so it's not about quote, having a peace. Now I've had peace inside, like a contentment and a, and a firm conviction that this is what I ought to do and still had butterflies in my stomach. Yeah. Right now. I love it when that God takes that away, but that's not the test. Right. Right. That's not the ultimate test of whether I've got butterflies or, um, you know, a liver shiver or, um, or indigestion, <laughs> yeah. you know, it could be any of those, right. It could be indigestion too. So yeah. I, I just try to, you know, make, make wise decisions based on a lot of counsel, a lot of information, thinking about pros and cons, yeah. praying and doesn't God lead me. I trust you. You, you will lead me. You know, you'll lead me. You'll guide me. Yeah. And so close the door doors. If you don't want me to go through this, open the doors if you do. Yeah. So what about relationships though? Yeah. Big decision. Oh, do I, you know, like, do, do I, I marry, marry somebody? Yeah. Yeah. How about marriage? Marriage again, again, let me, I'll just, I just, I've done a lot of pre-marriage counseling and marriage counseling. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll just tell you this. I've seen people who get very, very spiritual about their, you know, God told me to marry this person. Yeah. All the things worked out so perfectly. Oh, it's amazing. And I've seen, People marry, almost marry people like psychopaths who then they find out, oh, this, this woman is not the woman she's, she made it herself. Yeah. Right. And I've seen the other way. So, so what I would suggest with people, yeah, absolutely pray and, but ab use good wisdom, get counsel, get people who know both of you to speak into your life. The, the wisest people that I've seen, and I've shot, been shocked by some of the young people who come to me and say, you know, you've been married a long time. We've never been married. Could you tell us what are the ups and downsides of marriage? I'm sure I'm like, yes, I'd be happy to. Because <laughs> most people, you know, at age 20, 21, 25, even a little older, they, when they quote, fall in love, they become infatuated and they think, oh, we're special. Yeah. We're not going to have those problems. Yeah. Oh, are you kidding me? Um, you know, everything's going to be perfect. And yeah. they they kid themselves and so you're really wise if you go to people who know you well and even people who don't know you well and say can you talk to us what do you see so when we do when i do pre-marriage counseling i have six sessions with them yeah. and i'm looking for there is some of the issues and I'm, I'm 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 seeing if they're wise enough to say we could have this issue could we talk about this as opposed to oh i don't want to i don't want to cover that because that would mean we wouldn't marry yeah. Right. It'll blow. You know, sometimes people come and they set the wedding wedding date and they've already made the decision. And now they come and they think, should we get married? I'm like, you're putting the cart before the horse, right? 
Yeah. Let's let's get to know each other. We'll walk through that in a wise way. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, absolutely. There, I'm reading uh, the meaning of marriage yeah. by Tim, Tim Keller, Keller yeah. and it's amazing. He says, going. This relates to making decisions based on feelings. He says, right. You know, no one doubts the day of right. that you don't feel in love with this person for the most part, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And no one's doubting your feeling of being in love with this sure. person on the sure. moment of the day when you're giving the vows. He says, but you're not vowing. Mm-hmm. For that day, you're you're making a vow that you will in the future. It's not today's love, but it's future love. love. Yeah, yeah. And love when it's not a feeling. That's great. And so it kind of like changes that yeah, yeah. our Western, you know, That's 2019. Right. That's right. Understanding of love, which yeah. is oh, just well, when you feel it. And he says, so it's your commitment. You're you're vowing to be committed in the future, right. and. Yeah. He says, when you get to that point, what do you have to hang your hat on? Mm-hmm. It can only be your vows right. that you made that day. Right. So. Right. And, and you know, one of the things that I talk with couples about is, what do you think feeling in love feels like? Do you think you'll always feel the same feelings? And what will it be like when you don't? Not if you don't. When your feelings change. Because, because relationships deepen. And the brain chemistry changes. The brain chemistry of sex and romance and early relationships. It's it, you're when people people talk about being on drugs. I say you're in love. You're on drugs because your brain is experiencing dopamine and dopamine and epinephrine and and all kinds of oxytocin. These are brain brain yeah. uh, neurohormones, and you're getting flooded. And those brain chemicals tell you. Things like you're the best in the world, and so is she, and it's high. You get high from that, yeah. Um, but that doesn't last. It's, it's designed. Your brain's designed to have that about eighteen months to two years, and then it just calms down. So yeah. you can't go by the emotional feeling. I mean, emotions are important. Yeah. But you can't go by that. You're, it, so Keller's right when he talks about the commitment issue. Yeah, I think though too. I remember my wife. She was dating the guy before I met her. And on paper, you know, there was nothing like wrong about the relationship or the guy. He's mm-hmm. he's awesome and he's married now. I think he has kids. Um, but she did say the thought of being with him the rest of my life gave me anxiety. You know, mm, so maybe they're like, mm-hmm. it, it shouldn't like on the other side. You know, sure. people always make decisions like, oh, I feel in love with this person, right, but then right. you might want to listen to that maybe a little bit. Absolutely. I don't really think about that. Yeah, I think I think you need to pay attention to everything. Yeah. And it's not just one. Yeah. T- pay attention. Go slow. Right in relationships, go slow, because you you can you can't go back. You can always you can always move forward. Yeah. And and again, if if you're really thinking about marriage, talk to people who are wise wiser than yourself and get the get get insight you know it's it never hurts to say even going to your parents going to family hey what's it like to be married after 20 years or 30 years what's different what's the biggest lessons you've learned i mean think about how radical that would be to go up to somebody to say you've been married for x number of years could you please tell me what the best biggest lessons you've learned i mean do you think that would have benefit (laughs) yeah absolutely the problem is people go I'm special and the rules don't apply to me. They just apply to everybody yeah. else. I've seen that actually. I've seen 
Someone yeah. close to me um, did that. I'm married on a whim. Said that they were called to by God. And yeah. I'm like, wait, hold on. Yeah. Me, this person, that person, that person, my wife. Like, we all know the Lord. And we don't feel like this is a good sense. So you're saying we're all wrong? Well, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then, yeah, it, it, it didn't wind up too well. But right. <clears throat> like you said, <clears throat> God did a lot of good with that. And is working it out. So mm-hmm. the last question does anxiety stem from something in our past? Where does it come from? Um, anxiety can stem from events in the past, from unresolved things in the past. Um, and I'm not sure if they're asking, perhaps, there is there a genetic component to anxiety from the past? In, in, in other words, you know, grandma was anxious, mom was anxious. Yeah. It's That's the past, too. So can you have a predisposition toward anxiety? So yes, anxiety can stem from things in the past, of course. Yeah. And and most of it, it, it can be unresolved. And again, I want to when I'm working with somebody on anxiety, I'm, I'm I'm wondering what are they thinking about? How are they thinking? How are they thinking about this event in the past, for example? What did the event mean? We ascribe meaning to past events, right? So like for example, if I say I'm you know I'm the biggest jerk in the world, I'm incompetent. Well, how do you know that? Well, because I messed up in the past. Yeah. Well, that's a past event. And what, what meaning do you ascribe to that? Right? And sometimes the meaning that we ascribe to a past event can be very inaccurate. For example, someone who's abused sexually, the meaning they ascribe is it was my fault. Mm-hmm. Right? No, it's never your fault for being abused. And yet, that kind of meaning that we make of an experience can be very devastating and can create all kinds of things like depression and anxiety as we move forward. Yeah. Yeah. So it's best to resolve those kind of things, to talk it through and, and get, get some help. You know, people need to get help sometimes when they struggle on and on like that. Yeah, I actually used to, I don't want to say I was fearless when I would go walking around anywhere. Yeah. But in, in 2010, I was in a city um, outside of the country, and I was held up at gunpoint. Wow. And robbed. I was with a couple of my friends. Um, I actually wound up not losing anything. Um, it was traumatic. It's a, it's a scary, scary yeah, thing. It was weird because after that, I actually wasn't, I wasn't nervous or anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I even said, hey, let's pray for those guys. But I also felt in a way that I didn't have a lot to lose. And so move forward, now I got a wife right. and a daughter who's six months old. Right. And I'm back now in a context mm-hmm. where it's it, it it's, you know, city, I feel tremendous anxiety. I become yeah. really irritable. Yes. Um, very controlling. Yep. And I'm just, you know, scared right. that it's going to happen something, again. It's going to happen again, but right. this time I'm going to lose something sure. that really matters sure. to me. You yeah, know? and that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, also, because when you get into a circumstance or the, the, the area reminds you, at least unconsciously, reminds you of where you were. Yeah. And that incident that, you, that occurred to you is in your brain, right? It's there. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can pull up the images yeah. of it and what happened. And so it makes sense that you, you're going to experience some anxiety. And so the issue becomes, do you, what do you do with that? 
And yeah. can you can you talk yourself through it? Because just because it happened in the past doesn't mean it will happen again. It's awesome. Uh, can students can they go to serving leaders sure. for counseling? If sure, we see a lot of students. Okay. Yeah. So um, all, all you need to do is go to servingleaders.org and um, contact us. You know, there's the phone numbers there. There's a, a email addresses. You can look under uh, our team, see the counselors that we have. We have two locations: one in Willow Grove, and one right here in Westchester. So it's pretty easy to make an appointment, and um, love to help you. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you.